Welcome to Healthy Habits Happy Moms Radio, where we are all about helping you find balance in food, fitness, and family 365 days a year with your hosts, Jennifer Campbell, Lauren Kosky, and Annie Breeze. On today's podcast, we're talking to pelvic floor extraordinaire, or the Vag Wizard, as she's known in her community, Haley Lashta. Haley is the owner of Warman Physiotherapy and Wellness, and she's been a part of the Healthy Habits Happy Moms community for about a year now, and our members have had the pleasure of hearing from her professionally, but also getting to know her personally. Haley is a certified pelvic floor physiotherapy, and just FYI, for those of you tuning in from the United States, we say physical therapist instead of physiotherapist. She's also an enormous community advocate for pelvic health in Jen's hometown of Saskatoon, Canada. In addition to running her physiotherapy practice, Haley is also constantly doing presentations and workshops in the city for expectant and new moms. Her pelvic health knowledge is not limited to pregnancy and postpartum, but rather applies to a broad range of pelvic health issues concerning women. There's so much that we could cover in the pelvic health realm, but today we're going to focus on how women can care for their bodies in pregnancy, and this includes guidelines for movement and exercise and managing pain and discomfort. There are some topics we discuss with Haley that are difficult to grasp from an audio standpoint, so after we're finished recording, Jen and I put together a blog post that dives a bit deeper and includes graphics. This should help you wrap your head around our discussion, and most importantly, how our core and pelvic floor should be working, which is really the root of many women's dysfunction when it comes to pelvic health issues. So enough of that. Let's get into the podcast. Enjoy. Ladies, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> Good. You're, bo- you're both so excited you answered at the same time. Haley, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'm really excited to have you, and I know our community is really excited to have you as well. You have quite the connection with some women in our community as well. Yeah, in the Saskatoon area, I have been doing quite a bit of speaking and seeing clients, although admittedly, I am on mat leave technically. Yeah, because you've got a little baby at home, right? Yes, five months old today. Congratulations. And he's sleeping, hopefully. (laughs) He's supposed to sleep for the next hour, but we'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, this is kind of what happens when um, you've got moms that record podcasts. We've got, you know, kids kind of everywhere. Hopefully they just, you know, stay busy for for a little bit. And Jen, how are you? Good. How are you, Annie? Good. What are your kiddos up to? Um, there it's early here. Well, it's early for me, 8.15. Not early for you, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, they're just all upstairs eating toast and they're going to watch a movie. So yes. all good. <clears throat> this is parenting at its best when we do stuff like this. You just got to yeah. survive sometimes <laughs> with yeah. no, no guilt and no shame. You could just do what you got to do to make it work, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Jen, um, you're really closely uh, connected with Haley and you are the kind of the pre-postnatal expert of um, the founders here. So I'm going to throw this episode kind of to you and you can take the lead. Does that sure, sound okay? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Exciting. All right. Let's get going. So... Um, Haley is from, um, I guess what I call my hometown in Saskatoon, Canada. And she actually lives in the same town as my parents, um, Warman and you, you run Warman, uh, Warman physiotherapy and wellness, right? Haley? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Opened in 2014. 
Cool. And Haley, you've been in Healthy How Tapping Moms community for quite a while. And I thought it was so funny. I was thinking the other day about, I don't know if you remember our first interaction, but you had commented on somebody's um, post about pelvic health. And I private messaged you and was like, um, trying to find out more about you. So, so, um, the background to that is that, um, in Healthy Habits, Happy Moms, our community, we have, you know, 30,000 women and we've had, um, lots of, um, fitness professionals and physiotherapists join that group. And what I'm learning, um, what I've learned in my career is that not all trainers and physiotherapists are at the same level. And so, there's some out there giving not very good advice. And um, so we're very particular in our group on who can answer questions and who can't. I don't know if you remember that first exchange, but I, I was very suspicious of you. And I, I reached out and I was like, who are you <laughs> and what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I thought that was funny because I started following you after that. And I, I was like, wow, this woman knows what's up. Like you are very, very, um, on top of what's current and, um, and yeah, I'm just, and, and I've started referring people to you, um, for, that reach out to me from Saskatoon and we've sent Kathleen. She's, um, she's one of our balance 365 coaches and she's also a pre postnatal trainer. She's in Saskatoon. She's started sending people to you and you guys have met a couple times. And so, yeah, I feel like you're very like quite entrenched in our community now, which is, um, super cool. Yeah. Getting, getting there. Well, and here's the thing too, Jen, is that there's, um, a lot of different philosophies on pre postnatal training. And just as I'm speaking as a personal trainer, um, it seems to be that pre postnatal training is really kind of trendy to specialize in right now. And it, we've got a lot of people in the industry talking about pre postnatal training, like they know what they're doing and that they have a ton of experience. And, you know, I think you and I are both kind of, well, all three of us, I'm sure, are kind of just a little cautious before we start recommending people. And we're very protective of the women in our community that we can speak to the person's professional services before we start referring women to various professionals. So yeah, we are. We're very particular and we just want our audience to have the most current, up-to-date um, advice because really they need to they need to live their lives, pregnant and postpartum. So a lot of the advice out there is very, very restrictive and limiting. And then um, that's very limiting for their lives. So we want them to be able to do as much as they can without hurting themselves, which is a lot more than what women think they can do. So why don't we jump right in? I'm going to, um, is exercise in pregnancy safe? And... The answer is yes. <laughs> it's good for um, it's good for everybody. If you haven't been exercising much and you find yourself pregnant, it's still safe um, as long as you have no medical conditions um, to start exercising. Yeah, I mean, exercise during pregnancy is is something that we do want to encourage people to do. The only precautionary thing that I have are those people that have done nothing, find out that they're pregnant, and then they want to hop right into something maybe a little bit more intensive, particularly when you see um, the various people on Instagram or on Facebook that are pregnant and they're doing a lot of various activities that 
probably are more challenging for people that are just getting started with exercise, period. Right. Like so, jumping straight into a CrossFit class or something. Exactly. <laughs> much, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so some of those things. But I mean, there's, as, as long as there isn't any medical reason to be avoiding exercise, and there are a few, um, but you can still usually do some light activity without doing anything too heavy yet as well. It all depends on what exactly is going on, right? Right. It's not always about what you're doing for exercise. It's how you're doing it, how you're doing it. And we'll get into that um, in a couple of minutes. But um, yeah, I know there's also, um, there is a lot of fear mongering in (laughs) in the industry as well. And a lot of women out there are looking for the best exercise or they're looking for uh, which activities you can do and can't do. And I always say um, the number one question is, what do you enjoy? Yes. Right. So, um, and that, and there's a huge range of what women enjoy. Some women love strength training. Um, Our pregnancy program through Healthy Have Tappy Mums is a, is a, you know, it's a strength conditioning program, but um, some women don't like lifting weights. They like doing yoga or um, what are some other activities? <laughs> it's like, that's as far as my aerobics, bank goes. Swimming. Yeah, Zumba. Um, yeah. Totally. Even running up until, you know, a certain point. Um, right. Women still enjoy CrossFit, group exercise. Spin is another good one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I thought we would, I thought I wanted to start out with, um, sort of quickly outlining the main concerns women have during pregnancy. Um, and these all carry over to postpartum, but we'll, we'll sort of just address them, um, through pregnancy and, and Haley like diastasis recti. So that is just, um, a widening of the abdominal muscles during pregnancy. Do you want to talk a little bit, a little bit about that? Sure. So with the diastasis, like you said, it's a widening of the space between the rectus abdominis, the six-pack ab muscle that sits in the front. Um, And with diastasis, it can happen even in people who aren't pregnant, right? But it is a normal part of pregnancy. So for women who are pregnant, I would beg to say that anybody who looks pregnant when they go into labor likely has diastasis. And even though... We're saying pretty much everybody. Pretty right. well everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although when you, look at, when you look at research, right, research seems to say that 80, 80% of people will have a diastasis, but I would say that everybody does. Right. Um, who comes into my clinic anyways, so my client population. Um, and it, it has to happen in order for us to get to those end stages of pregnancy because your belly grows too quickly for those muscles to stretch, right? So they have to make space. It's normal. Um, there aren't really things that we do that will prevent it from happening, but there are things that you can do during pregnancy to not make it worse than it would be otherwise. So a lot of times I'll have people come in and they want to get taped in through their belly. Um, I tend to not tape because I find people then will rely on it and the tape can be rather um, problematic for the skin if you do it repeatedly. So it depends if it's a one-off kind of thing on occasion. Um, Belly wrapping is another one that we tend to see and depending on how you're doing it, if you're doing it correctly versus incorrectly, you can be impacting pelvic floor as well. So there's all of that to consider too, but obviously 
everything kind of works together. So it's hard to isolate one thing at a time. But yeah, the diastasis itself is normal during pregnancy. Um, and it needs to occur. It's just whether we're optimizing that system to make sure that we're not putting extra strain on it than it needs to have during that time. Right. So I know there's a lot of hysteria um, over diastasis recti right now. Women are um, really scared of it. They, you know, they think it's this big, bad, horrible thing that they're going to have forever. And um, yes, I love what you said because I, I try and tell women it's, it's natural and it's normal and um, you will get it. It will, by the time you're ready to give birth, you will have a diastasis there and that's what you're supposed to have. Yes. That's how our bodies are made to make babies. Right. And do you find out of all of the pregnancy um, sort of related concerns you hear, is diastasis recti a something that women are very concerned about that come and see you in pregnancy? That's probably one of the top concerns currently um, for women who are pregnant, as well as their healthcare providers. I've actually had quite a few people referring their um, pregnant clients to physio to try and decrease the diastasis during pregnancy. Um, So I I have a feeling that that kind of stems from, again, that kind of fear mongering that we've been seeing uh, within social media, essentially, everybody wants to heal their diastasis or diastasis or whatever. And then it kind of trickles over into the pregnancy um, components as well. And we know that we can't eliminate it during pregnancy. We just need to optimize that system. Right. And so if a woman were to come to physio um, in pregnancy, um, first of all, do you recommend that? Do you recommend women see a pelvic floor physiotherapist while they're pregnant? So when we're thinking of the pelvic floor physio during pregnancy, most pelvic floor physios won't do any pelvic exams in the first trimester, right? But if you're painful, pain is a really good indicator to go to physio. Okay. And we can often do something about it prior to labor and delivery. So one of the big myths that we end up hearing lots of is, oh, well, you're pregnant, so just suck it up and it'll be better after labor and delivery. Yes. Which is kind of a terrible way to treat our pregnant clients, our pregnant moms in society, especially because up to 80% of people will have some kind of pain, if not more. Um as well. So you're, you know, kind of expected to just suck it up and this is how it is. And what do you expect? You're pregnant, which is awful. Uh, But uh, I'm more of the opinion that, okay, well, if something is painful and sore, why don't we have it addressed? Right. So physio will be able to address pain during pregnancy um, for the most part, and not all things can be addressed, but usually we can make things more comfortable, more manageable, um, find better strategies for people to use so that they're not as painful, those kinds of things. Um, I would say that in my practice, when people come in and they're painful, 90% of the time it's able to resolve to pain-free, and the other 10%, you're probably looking at those people that have waited to 36 weeks and they've got four (laughs) I'm like, well, we'll see what we can do, um, right. that kind of thing. But 
uh, research is showing that physio during pregnancy for pain related issues is definitely beneficial. And then there's also some new indication that the pelvic floor physio for incontinence or leaking um, during pregnancy can be very helpful as well. And that's what I find clinically. So when we're thinking of pelvic floor signs and symptoms, those can also be addressed during pregnancy um, and they can actually have really good results. Awesome. One of the things that I find is that people are not being sent for physio because it's like, well, you're going to go through labor anyways, so you might as well just wait until after. But if you know what to do beforehand mm -hmm. and then you end up going through labor and delivery, you have those tools already. Right. It makes it much easier to manage postpartum as well. So it ends yeah. up being kind of a double benefit. I find in my experience, um, the women I, that I work with while pregnant, and I don't see as many as I do postpartum. And I think that's because um, women, I guess, you know, maybe what you're saying, they're not, they're pregnant and they're not they don't think or they're not being told that maybe they should see somebody um, special for pregnancy, I guess that, um, and they, um, and you know, and I'm just talking exercise. So they just keep doing what they're doing and they, you know, quote unquote, listen to their bodies. And, but what, what I see is that um, if I can work with women while they're pregnant, they, I can really set them up well for postpartum. And um, it's just, it's really fun. It's really fun when I can be with a woman through, um, both of those chapters, and there's a, such a significant difference I find in um, how they feel, and um, you know, even the psychological component and the confidence that they go into birth and postpartum with. And also, they can get, you know, they can start their uh, rehab exercises pretty quickly postpartum too, even if it's just you know breathing and. Um, yeah, so we've talked about diastasis recti, and I also wanted to then move into pelvic health issues. So um, incontinence, pelvic pain, prolapse, those are kind of um, the big ones that women are talking about. But there's lots of pressure-related issues that women experience in pregnancy that are really uncomfortable, like um, a lot of pregnant women get hemorrhoids and they're constipated. And so there's you know, there's all of those things. And Haley, would you recommend seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist um, for any of those things, major, minor? One of the things that I find is people often will wait until something is really bad before they come in. Um, it, they're managing well initially, and then it just kind of continues to snowball and get worse. And then when you come in, it's really quite sore it's harder for us to get an exam in because it's hard to move. It's hard right. to complete the exam, um, those kinds of things. And so my recommendation when I'm doing talks with various groups um, is to, if you're having problems and it's persisting for more than about a week, probably not a bad idea to just book an appointment. Right. Um, get in. Usually it's easier to manage and get on top of when it's less painful than when right. it's more painful. Um, and then hopefully you have the strategies to prevent things from cropping up on you as pregnancy continues. So if you see somebody in your second trimester, you probably won't need to see anybody again until if you wanted to do like a labor and delivery prep kind of thing um, into the, the end of the third trimester and then go from there. But if you end up waiting and you're pushing it because, you know, oh, I don't have time to go or it's really not that bad yet or things like that, if you just continue to wait and it sits there and festers, right. 
things get more sore and then it's harder to deal with. And, and I compensated. Women probably, you know, when they're in their first and second trimester, they probably have more, you know, sort of body awareness and can um, learn, learn strategies before they're really pregnant. Because once you're really pregnant, yeah, then your baby's just kind of taking over your body and it's hard to get a feel for where everything is. And, um, yeah, so yeah, I love, I love sending, I'm just overjoyed when my clients are seeing you know, me, and they're also seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist, I feel like they're really setting themselves up well for labor and delivery and postpartum. So, um, so let's talk about incontinence. Incontinence is extremely common. It seems to be something that women are really embarrassed about, but I think, I mean, I mean, the research is all over the place, but up to 80% of women are experiencing incontinence and, and that's across the board. So that's, yeah. So that's pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, postpartum, and many women in their, in their later years, you know, grandmothers are experiencing this. So, um, let's talk about that. So incontinence, very common. I'm sure you see it all the time <laughs> and it ha and it's often, um, I mean, we see women that leak, you know, sometimes it's when they sneeze, which is, um, you know, kind of like a one rep max for your pelvic floor, but also, um, in during exercise, very common in, you know, women who lift heavy and do high impact exercise. So that, and that can be, so I'm sure the majority that, um, of inc incontinence you see is probably urinary incontinence, but there's also fecal incontinence as well. So what, what should women watch for? And what would you say is, um, is time to come to the physio? What, what would you say they should be watching for? So incontinence, leaking of any kind, uh, urine or feces is something that can be addressed. One of the things that I find tricky is, is if it's not a problem for you, say you're having leaking, if it's just a little bit and it doesn't bother you, you don't have, you don't have to come in. Right. But it's an indication that that system isn't working well. So right. for me, um, incontinence is one of those indicators that, no, yes, you should probably get in because it's common, but it's not normal. So right. your system, if it's working well, should be continent, not incontinent. Right. right. <laughs> and so if anybody's experiencing any kind of form of incontinence, it doesn't have to just be a, well, we'll wait until it gets really bad and then you can have your bladder lift surgery. Right. Um, it doesn't need to be a, well, I mean, you're pregnant, so it doesn't really matter. Everybody kind of gets there. Right. Or you're planning on having more kids, so just wait until after you're done. Oh my gosh, I hear this stuff all the time. <laughs> all the time. So brutal. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of a disservice. If you were a runner and you started running and you had knee pain and you told you would your go provider about it, your provider would probably tell you to go see someone and they'd probably refer you to a specialist. Right. <laughs> so if we're doing that for our knee pain because we started running, well, running's a choice. Pregnancy mm -hmm. is a choice. Right. So we should also be able to manage these things that come up in pregnancy now, not not later, later. When not when it, it gets really bad or, or when it gets, yeah, when it gets to the point that you have to have surgery that just, to me, it's counter productive. Right. And break my ankle and then never give you crutches. <laughs> right. Right. I do. I find, um, that I hear a lot, uh, women just say, well, just a little bit. And I'm saying, go like you can, this is, and I tell them, first of all, I tell them I don't leak at all. Like I not one bit, not when I sneeze, not when I run, like it is not normal at all. 
And you can 100% fix that. It is not a, this is not a lifelong thing. But what, what I think women do is they're very busy or they're not prioritizing themselves and they find workarounds. So they, well, it's just when I run. So I'll just wear a pad when I run or, you know, they sort of won't run or I just won't run. That's such a good point too. the limiting factor that it has, um, yeah. And, and you know what, a lot of like in CrossFit, it's very common for in CrossFit gyms for them to say bathroom break before double unders. And so women are, you know, instead of actually going and dealing with the issue, they're just finding all these workarounds in their life to either avoid leaking or, um, or they just deal with it, manage it. And there's lots of products coming out. I mean, because incontinence is so common and becoming, I don't know, quote unquote, trendy to, t- you know, it's being talked about more than when I was having babies, which is awesome. But there's also a lot of products coming out marketed to women who leak that inst- that are about helping them manage it rather than address it. So, um, you know, like different pad companies and stuff now are, and it's like, it makes me furious. I mean, I'm glad we have these options for women, I guess, while, you know, while they're addressing it, but um, it, they shouldn't be looked at as permanent solutions right? Physiotherapy is a permanent solution for incontinence, right? When I was doing my first level for pelvic floor um, with Diana McDonald in Edmonton, um, there was a research that they were doing there where people had to do six months of pelvic floor physio prior to completing a surgery and 80% of people didn't end up needing the surgery. (gasps) Wow. That's amazing. A lot. lot. You know what I was just going to add, Jen, when you were talking uh, about maybe why women don't address it is I, I know personally, um, I hesitated going to the physical therapist after, um, my third, just, I put it off a little bit longer than I would probably recommend for uh, any of our clients to do. And that was because I was nervous. I was nervous that they were going to maybe tell me that I couldn't do the activities I love. And, and I think I, I can't be the only woman that, you know, okay, I, I don't love running, but for example, if I'm having incontinence when I'm running and I go to the physical therapist to try to address it, are they going to tell me that I can't run? And if they do, that would make me really sad, you know? So, and I don't, and Haley, I don't think that's, that would be your first, um, option for treatment is to say, you know, no, you cannot do any of the activities you love in any way, shape or form. I, I think, um, a lot of physical therapists are willing to try to work with what the client wants to continue to do and find a way to make it work versus just say, no, you got to cut it out totally. Definitely. Um, so for me, if I have somebody who comes in and I mean, it depends on how you're getting back into exercise, which isn't necessarily necessarily, um, the focus of this particular podcast, getting back into exercise postpartum, but what people are choosing to do during pregnancy as well. So some of those activities, it's a, it's a risk versus reward, um, decision. So if I have somebody coming in to see me and they're getting into third trimester and they're wanting to run like a marathon or something coming up before the end of pregnancy, that might not be something that I would be comfortable with them doing. However, after I provide education, if they still choose to do that, they still choose to do that. Right. Um, it's one of those things. Now for postpartum, when people are coming in and they're wanting to get back into things, I, I see people who will come to me after they've seen someone else and they're like, well, like you were saying earlier, I'm not supposed to lift anything over 15 pounds forever. And right. 
I mean, your kids are likely over 15 pounds by the time you're coming to see me at that point. So you can't follow that guideline. Right. It's impossible to follow that guideline. Are you going to sit on the floor every time your kid wants to be held? Like, probably not. Um, So people are definitely, I think, they're not sure what to expect with the, the physio appointment. They're not sure what to expect for guidelines, what to expect for recommendations. And to start, we might need to scale back things a little bit. But the goal should be to get you to where you want to be. Right. Um, and depending on how things go, like sometimes people do require some further medical management. That is the way things are in some cases. Um, but I would say the majority, it's not. Right? right. So we just get things going and make a plan and everybody needs to be on board with the plan. Cause if you're not, then you're not going to want to do the things that are going to help to get better either. Right. I mean, it's rehab. So what I tell women is that they will be further ahead, you know, if they have a very athletic brain and they're very concerned about losing performance or whatever it is about their exercise or even psychological well-being, it's about, it's rehab. So it there, you make a plan and you follow it. And, um, it's sort of like, you know, if your child, um, is learning to swim and, um, you know, we, you don't take them from zero to 60 and that's kind of how I look at rehab. You don't just throw them into the deep end and, um, let them figure it out. You start with lessons, you start with different skills, teaching them how to do things and you build from there. And that's kind of how I look at rehab. So you just, you follow the treatment plan and, um, it's not always linear, of course, you know, you know, you know, it's not always linear and there, you can't always give women a timeline. Like a lot of women want to know how long before my diastasis will heal. Well, that is highly individual and different for every single woman. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, it's awesome that they have the option. We just need them to be taking advantage of the pelvic floor physiotherapy more often. So let's move. We've covered diastasis recti, incontinence. And, um, so pelvic pain is another, um, huge thing. And I had pelvic pain in my second pregnancy. It was horrific. Um, so, (laughs) and I never addressed it because, um, going back to, um, women not taking advantage of pelvic floor physiotherapy. Well, a lot of women don't even know it exists and I didn't know it existed. And I had, I had my second in 2011 and I just had, I had no idea it existed. And I thought this was something I just had to deal with while I was pregnant. So, um, so can you talk a little bit about pelvic pain, Haley? So pelvic pain, there's multiple different kinds of pelvic pain. Anything that's external, pubic symphysis, SI joint, um, the joints of the back, hip, uh, glute, um, and some even low back pain too, I would kind of bulk into this as well. I, I tend to refer to all of that as a pelvic girdle pain um, during pregnancy. And I find a lot of people that I see will start to experience these kinds of pains early in pregnancy. Um, some people as early as five weeks uh, gestation. Um, the majority probably starting up closer to 12 or 13 weeks gestation. And then usually it just gets worse. Right. Yeah, totally. Mine just, by the time I was, you know, at the end of my pregnancy, I I couldn't even walk. Like I was, I was trying to stay active and I was walking and I was, I would have, I would go two blocks, you know, around the block and I would come home and I could just, it was just throbbing. 
my hips. So yeah, it got way, way worse as my pregnancy progressed. So, um, and so again, any pain in your pelvis, lower back, you can go see a physiotherapist and they can help you sort that out. And of course there's a multitude of reasons. Um, and some is hormonal. So SPD is really common and that's a separation, um, of the pelvis. And that is extremely painful. Um, but there's there's also normal. So there's a normal range for the operation. So we do need to have movement of that symphysis, symphysis pubis during pregnancy, particularly towards the end of pregnancy, the symphysis pubis dysfunction or SPD, or, um, some people call it lightning crotch. Now I don't know. If it's <laughs> I had somebody come in. They're like, "I have lightning crotch." I was like, "Ooh, what is that?" Sympathetic um, dysfunction. Yes, um, it sounds awful. <laughs> um, but usually, that that dysfunction comes from a lack of balance between the muscles as well. So we have all of this. Um, loosening throughout the system right when we're pregnant everything just kind of gets a little bit more mobile (laughs) yes Uh, everything gets a little bit more mobile and with that mobility right the muscles are trying to figure out how to work and particularly with the SPD those adductor muscles that attach at that pubic symphysis they can get really tight they can get really painful and usually that's more so what's causing the problem than the separation itself so the separation itself can be super problematic but I find lots of times it's more that muscle attachment okay um, that's the problem yeah um and so what what do you do for women with pelvic pain do you um you know, I know that there's, of course, there's exercise protocols and then there's, they can wear, um, some women wear belts that seem to help. Like, I mean, some women, it's just not, some women will just have to deal with that pain, I find. Or do you think you can get them out of pain, even with SPD? I think lots should be able to come out of pain. Okay. Um, especially if we're managing it at a point where it's getting started as to a point where it's been chronic for a while. Um, so when you, when you were experiencing your pain initially, had you gone in at that point, you likely would have had better results than waiting until the end when walking around the block is right. (laughs) Um, those kinds of things, right? So, I mean, if you have that system balanced and your adductors aren't working super hard and you're you're using all of those muscles efficiently we should be able to at least manage that have that pain at a manageable level throughout pregnancy and then you know like most people say the the pains that you experience during pregnancy often go away right after labor and delivery right yeah five percent of the time they don't right but um the majority it will so i mean if we can manage that pain keep it at a manageable level so that you can still do things during pregnancy that will make your pregnancy more enjoyable and it'll make it a lot easier for you to actually participate in activity right and go out and see people because pain can be super limiting in that in that respect as well do you find with with SPD that the support belts help or not much? It depends on the person. The client population that I see, I tend to not use them with. Um, but it depends on how painful somebody is. I find that lots of them are rather expensive. Okay. And if they're going to work, it should work with them. 
just something tied around the waist first. And then if it feels better than investing in something that costs a little bit more money, that's a little bit more comfortable than like a scarf, right? Beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on the person. I would say that of the people that I have with SPD, 10% of them maybe would end up with a belt or a support of some kind. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the last, I wanted to talk about prolapse. So prolapse is another um, topic that is starting to get um, talked about more. And for anyone listening that doesn't know, pelvic organ prolapse is when your um, any of your pelvic organs descend um, from a place that they were to a place that they is lower than they were. Um, and again, this is just sort of another pressure related issue. Uh, Haley, do you want to talk a bit more about that? Sure. So pelvic organ prolapse, kind of like diastasis, it's starting to pick up a little bit in social media. Um, everybody's talking about their pelvic organ prolapse and how to heal it and, and all of that kind of area of interest, I guess. So the three main organs that will prolapse will be your bladder, your uterus, and then your rectum. And they tend to, because we have a vaginal opening, fall into the vagina. Um, So pelvic organ prolapse is something that often people don't notice during pregnancy, but will come across postpartum more so. Um, For people that have had a prolapse in one pregnancy, they often worry about making it worse in a subsequent pregnancy. and those kinds of things as well. So pelvic organ prolapse in and of itself, I mean, your organs aren't going to descend really unless there's multiple factors going on. So some people will have um, tissue factors that maybe things aren't quite as elastic as they could be, or it just has extra stretch. So things so will that, fall down. That'd be more of a genetic link, that what you're talking about there. Component. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so there's a genetic component there and then there's the whole, the system. So are you getting extra pressure in the abdominal cavity from the diaphragm doing something it's not supposed to, or the abdominals doing something like gripping around the ribs or right. that kind of thing. And then thinking from the bottom, the pelvic floor, right? Your pelvic floor needs to support those organs, but is it working too hard against everything else or? Right. So lots going on there. And would you say, I mean, I've heard physiotherapists um, theorize about pelvic organ prolapse and that possibly um, for women who have some descent of their pelvic organs, there is like diastasis recti, there may be a degree in which is that's normal, especially after vaginal birth. Yeah, I would say particular. I mean, when you think of pregnancy in particular, your uterus grows from about five centimeters long to up to your diaphragm, essentially. Right. right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Movement. Your organs get moved during that. They, right. they can't stay where they are. They get squished all over the place. Um, so they've they've had movement, right? The ligaments that hold them in particular spaces are going to be stretched in that phase of pregnancy and then postpartum they might not come exactly to where they were before and that's not necessarily bad it just depends on what your symptoms are so a lot of times people that have pelvic organ prolapse their symptoms are heaviness and through the pelvic floor feeling like things are going to fall down or fall out on occasion there's pain um 
people that previously used tampons or uh, cups kind of thing will often feel like there's just something in the way. They can't get their tampon or cup in the way that they did before um, and those kinds of things. Uh, but it really depends on the person. There are some people who a grade one prolapse is significantly symptomatic and there's people with a grade three prolapse where it's not as symptomatic. Right. So just so anyone listening understands, so a first degree prolapse would be like the least amount of descent. And, and then you go degree. all the way to a grade four. And yeah. that would be, um, that's sort of when the organs are out of the body, isn't it? But They're protruding through the vaginal protruding. opening. Yeah. Right. Or okay. right at the opening, essentially. Right. And so um, if you were to see a woman in pregnancy who was experiencing prolapse symptoms, you know, there's definitely something you could do to help her, I'm sure. <laughs> and um, is this something, because um, I also hear from a lot of women who are um, pregnant, man- trying to manage a prolapse, you know, maybe had a prolapse from their previous pregnancy and delivery postpartum and are very worried about it getting worse during their next pregnancy. Can they, can they expect, if you have had a prolapse, can you expect to... Um, get through your pregnancy without feeling symptomatic again? Or is that almost a given? Or what would you say, Haley? It depends a little bit on the client. Um, I actually, I haven't read any research on subsequent pregnancies for prolapse anytime in the last kind of six months here. Um, But I would say my client base, the majority of people, if they were seeing pelvic floor physio postpartum, and then they check in earlier in pregnancy, so not first trimester, but second trimester. They tend to remain asymptomatic, so without symptoms, through that pregnancy. And then usually, like, they know what to do. So they come in and they follow up postpartum, and they don't necessarily have things progress in a fashion that it would without. And again, thinking of those recommendations, well, you're just going to have more kids, so wait until Right, <laughs> I know. <laughs> waiting until you're done having kids, your symptoms probably would get worse. But I, I would beg to say that if you're doing your proper strategies during pregnancy, um, we're monitoring it well. And I mean, that doesn't even necessarily mean that you're coming in for appointments. It's just, you know what, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I'll check in just for an appointment to see how things are going. And then after that, if everything is still feeling well and they've worked with me previously, I know that they'll be able to manage throughout that pregnancy. And then they'll know to come in if they're having problems. Right. So if somebody has that good base for it, it makes it a lot easier to manage. And I find the same with any of the pelvic floor dysfunctions. So the incontinence, um, some people will have very tight hips as a, Um, pelvic floor indicator as well without any other specific pelvic floor signs Um, and so when I see them and they're like oh my hips are tight and you know second trimester in pregnancy I just gotta go get you know everything tuned up kind of thing Um, that we're using those strategies well and efficiently and and that kind of idea then things go better now if people don't know better they're, they're right. just going to live with those symptoms, right. particularly if we happen to have a, those other healthcare providers, friends and family that are well-meaning as well. Um, oh, well, just wait until you're done having kids because mm-hmm. it's, that's how it is, you know? Right. Um, and, and those things, although people are trying to be helpful, aren't necessarily all that helpful. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, and just so everyone lis- that's listening, you know, we're talking about prolapse symptoms of, of um, heaviness and pressure. Sometimes your symptoms are not always an indication of the severity of your prolapse. So um, there's some women that they feel, you know, they feel, you know, very heavy, a lot of pressure. They're really freaking out. And, um, they, yeah, like Haley was saying, they could have a first degree prolapse, which, which just so also everyone listening, Haley, um, prolapses can be reversed some, um, through physical therapy and some, some can be managed and some will ultimately, um, need surgery. Would you say, is that correct? That would be correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, I love, um, I want women with with prolapses to know that I guess and and actually even in abs in when they definitely need surgery I still like them to see a physiotherapist it doesn't mean okay I'll just have surgery I don't need to see a physiotherapist even if they're heading into a surgery they also need to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist and some research on that too. Um, so we were talking about in Alberta they have that program where they do the physio prior to surgery for, and that's for any pelvic floor dysfunction. So prolapse, incontinence, all of that kind of thing. 80% of people end up not requiring surgery, which is awesome. Um, the other thing, the other component of that is those with prolapse or those with um, incontinence requiring a bladder lift, those kinds of things. After five years, if they haven't done physio, they end up needing that surgery again. Right. There's, yeah. So it's, um, 60 to 80% of people. So oh, wow, that's, that's huge. Yes. There, there's a, it de- depends on what research you're looking at. So those numbers significantly decrease when you combine physio. So right. if you're seeing physio pre-surgically, you can change those strategies that you have. Right. And then post-surgically, make sure that you're managing them well still. And the reason for that is particularly thinking of prolapse where everything's descending down. If you're continuing to put pressure even onto those surgical materials, often a mesh is used. Um, if you're putting pressure onto those materials, over time it will fail, they will fail. If, you're, right. if you're not managing those strategies well. Now, if you happen to be that... Um, percentage of people where it's basically just the genetic component that's causing the problem, you, right. it won't fail because then you've corrected whatever the problem was without right. having the strategies being the issue. Right. So I think that's a good time for us to get into strategies. So when we, when Haley and I are talking strategies, we are talking about, um, I guess the way you go through life and move. <laughs> so everybody's, um, will be a little bit different. Um, you know, Haley was talking earlier, you know, these issues are often multifactorial, whether it's diastasis recti, incontinence, pelvic pain, prolapse. And um, that's why every woman needs, I like every woman to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist because it is, your strategy can be, can be so individual and you don't know if it's, you know, clinging abs or, um, you know, your diaphragm muscle or your shoulders, like, you know, you don't, you don't know what it is and I can only do what I can do as a personal trainer. I mean, my scope is actually very limited and especially the women I work with online, um, again, you can, you can there's only so much you can do and teach women. So, um, I, I really am a strong advocate of public core physiotherapy. Um, so let's talk about strategy. Um, 
we have, there are great strategies and there are not so great strategies for how you move and exercise and breathe. And, um, so why don't we, um, why don't we talk about that, Haley? How can, how could we best without diagrams, without a visual, with just speaking, how can we describe, um, what a good strategy looks like for women? So strategy, not within pregnancy, that would be um, ideal when we're thinking of kind of the quote inner core um, being your diaphragm, your transverse abdominis, which is the muscle that kind of wraps around the abdomen, thinking like a corset, and then your pelvic floor at the bottom, having those coordinates together. You want to have your diaphragm and your pelvic floor work together. So when you breathe in, your diaphragm comes down. If your diaphragm comes down into your belly, you want to create space in the abdomen so we don't increase pressure. So the pelvic floor then needs to relax. And it should do that subconsciously, although some people require some conscious effort in it. Right. Yeah. How many of us are sitting here breathing? <laughs> like as right. you're talking, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, inhale, diaphragm expands, belly relaxes, pelvic floor yeah. descends. <laughs> and exhale. Yeah. So, um, and I love Julie Weeb's video about using the balloon. Um, so she, to, for women to understand their pressure system, um, it's that if you took a balloon um, and blew it up and it had no restrictions, the pressure would be equal on every side of the balloon. But if you were to squeeze that balloon, so if you squeeze that balloon in the middle, then you have, um, you would see the bottom bulging out and you would see the top bulging out. And that's what we're talking about with strategy that um, when you inhale, I say, I guess one of the biggest problems I see, Haley, I don't know if you find the same thing, but a lot of women suck in all the time. So they're, they're inhibiting that process because they have everyone pregnant, right? So they have no relaxation in their bellies. So they're not, so when they breathe in, they're just creating pressure inside their abdomen, um, rather than having a relaxed belly that will accept that pressure. So that's sort of, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the bottom line. And when we talk about a lot of these issues, when we're talking about, um, a sort of mismanaged pressure system, that's what we're talking about. You have something going on, whether it's really tight, you know, if you're sucking in all the time, or if you have a very tense pelvic floor, that's not, um, descending on every inhale. And so how things should work, I guess, is, um, what you just said, diaphragm comes down and, um, pelvic floor, relaxes. Um, and when you exhale, the pelvic floor, um, rises. I don't want to say it necessarily. Well, I guess it tenses a little bit, but that's how your, your pelvic floor should, should basically always be rising and falling with each breath. And that's not always happening. In fact, it's often not happening. I would say A lot of times, and I I think part of it comes from like pelvic floor, everybody's kind of read in Cosmo about Kegels or something like that. Not a whole lot of people have 
heard about relaxing. And one of the things I like about the um, Healthy Habits, Happy Moms is that you guys do talk about relaxing, which is great. Um, but a lot of times people have been focusing on Kegels and strengthening the pelvic floor and it doesn't know how to relax. Right. Um, so when you breathe in, instead of the pelvic floor accommodating for that, it just kind of stays rigid. Um, right. And that, that often can lead to problems and dysfunction as well. Think of your bicep. If your bicep wouldn't relax and your elbow couldn't straighten, that would lead to problems over time. Right. Yeah. And the other thing too, is when we, when women are sort of getting a blanket prescription to do your kegels while you're pregnant, that is like telling somebody to strengthen their bicep to just tense their bicep, just flex and don't stop flexing, just flex where that's not how we build strength. So you have to go through that full range, um, of motion to you tense and relax. So um, that was that was me before Healthy Habits, Happy Moms, before I learned all this stuff. I was, like, tensing as hard as I could, like, for as long as I could. And I realized after physical therapy and, and educating myself through other personal trainers that were working with pre-postnatal women that that's not hard and long. Contractions are not the ultimate goal. Yeah, I've actually never worked with a woman who knew what that was, I that knew that your pelvic floor should um, contract and relax or um, move up and down, I guess, with breath. And the vast, I mean, all the women, I, I shouldn't even say, I, I would say all, um, and this is just me personally, um, they have trouble with the relaxation part. And the other thing is if you start getting symptomatic for anything like pain or pressure or, or incontinence, if you start feeling those symptoms, you know, the knee-jerk reaction is to tense up. And to stay there. And so say if you're experiencing incontinence and you start um, tensing up and, you know, doing kegels a lot, initially that might improve the symptoms, which is, you know, reaffirms, oh, what I'm doing is right. But it's not, it's just not the full picture. Like it's definitely a temporary um, fix. So yeah, well, we'll prescribe kegels without having to take a look to see what's going on. Right. How the floor physio comes in, right? That right. will make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing through pelvic floor, as opposed to, you know, people come in and, and you're scared of the, the, the pelvic floor area, it seems. Nobody wants to actually see what's going on. Right. Um, and then, you know, you've got symptoms. Oh, well, do Kegels. And here's a prescription if you're leaking for your irritated bowel or bladder. kind of Right. Thing. And And one thing that I think women really need to understand about their pelvic floor muscles is that um, tight does not equal strong. So you can have, um, you know, so let's bring it back to the bicep. You can have a tight bicep muscle that is not strong. And that's the same thing with your pelvic floor muscles. Just because you're holding it up in a tense position um, doesn't make it a strong pelvic floor. Or functional. Or functional, exactly. Yeah. And that's the big thing. You can have a pelvic floor that isn't necessarily all that strong, but it's functional and it's got the range and it's using that range effectively. So then you don't have overt symptoms for pelvic floor dysfunction. You could also have a pelvic floor that's theoretically very strong from doing all of these squeezing tight Kegels, (laughs) Um, but you have lots of symptoms and pain is a huge symptom of that. So uh, pain with intercourse, pain with inserting a tampon, those kinds of things. Those are big indicating factors for extra tension through pelvic floor that shouldn't be there probably. 
Right. And so, and that's, so the other, the other one to look at. So if strong, if tense doesn't equal strong, um, quote unquote, loose does not equal weak. But what I found, um, you know, I, I find is really interesting is that a lot of women, if they're leaking or experiencing any of these pressure symptoms, they think they have a quote unquote loose pelvic floor. And, um, the physiotherapist that I, um, um, used to work with um, in Saskatoon. She's been practicing for, I think, 10 to 15 years in public floor, public floor physiotherapy. Her name is Charlene Reynolds. I'm sure you know her, Haley. Um, she said in her in her 10 years of practice, she has never seen a loose pelvic floor. It's it's She sees weak pelvic floors. She sees um, strong pelvic floors. She sees dysfunctional pelvic floors. She sees tense pelvic floors, but she does not ever see... Um, you know, loose pelvic floors. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's just, it's so funny because, you know, that's what women think they have when they're leaking yet. That is just not the issue. It, it basically doesn't exist. She said to me, I saw a, a lady uh, in her eighties once, uh, um, who, you know, and I thought, oh, if I'm going to see one, this is where I'll see it. But nope, she, she also had a very tense pelvic floor. So, yeah. So, um, so when we apply, so talking about this strategy, um, applying that to movement and exercise, again, it's really hard to communicate this over a podcast, but, um, so we've got this, we've got the diaphragm and pelvic floor connection, which is, which that is also the best position for women to be exercising in, um, and running in. And so once you have your optimal core and pelvic floor connection, or I guess we could call it diaphragm and pelvic floor connection, then you can start to manage, um, you know, things like leaks when you're running or exercising. Um, And so do you want to, maybe we could go through, why don't we go through a squat, Haley, and talking about um, the steps to a squat. Did you want to go through that or do you want me to do it or? Go for it. Okay, so I guess for me, it depends where a woman's at, how I would have them breathe. But I'm just going to go with your average pregnant woman that is um, not symptomatic, and this is how I would have her breathe. So um, so first of all, I'm not a big fan of breath holding in pregnancy. I don't know how you feel about that, Haley, but um, I find different physiotherapists have different um, philosophies on that. But, you know, crossfitters or really heavy lifters like um, Annie, who is a power lifter, they do a lot of breath holding. Um, and that's called the Valsalva maneuver. And that's, uh, you know, it's, you know, what you would use for high loads. I mean, and you have to. Um, and that's to create the pressure to be able to lift that amount of weight. So what, um, so in pregnancy, I like to get my crossfitters and lifters away from that. And I want them breathing through the whole movement. And if they have to breath hold for the movement, I don't, I mean, what, you know, I guess you could argue that a couple times probably won't hurt you. It's the habitual breath holding that I want to see them stop doing. Um, and a lot of, uh, I guess a lot of lifters, they do habitually breath hold and not even just lifters. Like there are women who go to Zumba and breath hold and it just, it's this habit you get into. I guess it's a strategy you develop and start using, you know, to move and lift, um, and run. And that creates pressure. Breath holding creates pressure. So during pregnancy, I like to get out of that habit. And I would say, 
Um, well, it's pretty simple. Inhale on the way down in your squat, exhale on the way up. But the key being, um, which this term was coined by Julie Weeb, it's blow before you go. So it's you start your exhale, which triggers that system, um, during the hard part. So other, you know, other people call it exhale on exertion, um, blow before you go, um, and that um, your exhale should um, get that system going and which best allows you to manage um, that press that load under pressure. Would you add anything to that Haley? No that would be pretty standard for if we're trying to teach somebody strategies with that. I find like in regards to breath holding right there is a time for breath holding like you were saying um, pregnancy I don't necessarily think that that would be the time for breath holding either. Um, and even when we're thinking of people that are powerlifters going to CrossFit, that kind of thing, are they breath holding because their strategies are optimal and that's going to get them farther? Or are they breath holding because their strategies are not optimal and that's how they're going to lift more? Right. So if they have optimal strategies in their breath holding, totally fine. Right. <laughs> if they're breath holding because they have non-optimal strategies and they just want to lift more weight, uh, that's going to end up being problematic uh, over time. Right. Um, and a lot of women will experience their leaks when they're breath holding. Um, I find they're kind of at their, you know, maybe they're at their doing a one rep max or whatever they're doing and they leak at the bottom of their squat or, um, and so basically what's happening there is you're holding your breath, you're creating intra-abdominal pressure and your pelvic floor can't handle it. Annie, I'm going to ask you a quick question. Okay. Here. Yep. Go. Okay. Annie, you are the most experienced lifter um, out of the two of us here. Do you, does this, is this all making sense to you? And do you have any questions, Annie? Yeah, uh, you know, of course it makes sense to me because um, I've now been in it for a couple of years. Prior, if you would have told me all of this prior to working with you or following the work of Julie Weeb or Diane Lee or Anthony Lowe, I would have kind of stared blankly at you. Like, what are you like? What? Because, um, you know, before that I w I was looking for, uh, experienced lifters on Instagram for my information for what to do during pregnancy and postpartum. And it was kind of one of those, well, if it's good enough for them, then it's good enough for me. Right. And obviously my philosophy's changed. Um, and you know, that took a little bit of, uh, mental and physical adjustment when I became pregnant with Blair because I was still heavy into powerlifting. I had just uh, completed a meet um, shortly before getting pregnant with Blair. And I had to change my strategies because uh, as a powerlifter, I would set my air. I would use the Valsava maneuver almost every single rep to kind of practice that um, pattern. So when the, for when the load gets heavy, it's just second nature. I don't have to think about what I'm doing, you know? And I think that's pretty standard CrossFit. I'm, I'm new to CrossFit, but, uh, CrossFit seems to be a little bit different, um, depending on the movement, how they're breathing. But, um, yeah, I think just to echo what you said, it, it is a common strategy that lifters use. Uh, I do also see women experience leaking when they're breath holding, um, and, or when they're living, lifting near max holds. And I think it's really interesting what Haley said, uh, before, you know, like if this, 
if this is something that's not problematic to you, then you know, if you would, if you address it or not, that's really up to you, but you don't have to live with that. That's not, um, something that you have to just accept if you're, if you're not. Yeah. It's also, it's probably even more common to see this, you know, leaking happen during high impact activities than heavy lifting. So like runners, runners, um, and, and CrossFitters, they are, I don't know, I guess famous for leaking. Um, and they do the double unders and, and it's not that you have to stop doing these things necessarily. It's about, um, finding a different way to do them. But Haley, I know this, the advice also varies once you get into say the latter half of your pregnancy, would you recommend women stop doing heavy lifting and high impact activities? Again, it's going to come back to a risk versus reward thing. Can you do it? Sure. Should you do it? I would debate probably not. Particularly for box jumps, for um, like the climbing the rope things I've seen people doing later stages in pregnancy. I mean, anything where you have a risk of falling, anything where you have a risk of tripping, um, I mean, ultimately it comes down to, do you want to trip and fall on your belly? Right. Because that can be very problematic. And number two, the later you get in pregnancy, the more mobile everything is and your muscles have to work harder. So it, it comes down to risk versus reward. I would not encourage people to be doing, um, really heavy lifting in those later stages in pregnancy, just because ultimately think of what's happening to your core, right? You've got a belly that's protruding out because you're making room for a fetus, right? You just can't use those same strategies that you did before. And how much of a benefit is is it going to provide for you as the mom for your postpartum phase? Right. So if you are using all of these or you're doing all of these different kinds of activities, how much benefit is it going to give you later? Yeah. And the other, the other thing that for really experienced lifters to understand is that, um, your belly will change your movement pattern. And a lot of experienced lifters work hard for those movement patterns and, and, you know, really fine tuning them. And you're training in a different movement pattern that you'll have to work hard at, you know, to regain postpartum. So yeah. And the other thing with running, I guess, you know, and I've been called out on my bias before, so I understand this is bias, but because my pain and leaking all stemmed from running, I really feel nervous about the running part in pregnancy. And I try and get my clients, I mean, I recommend dialing down the running at about 20 weeks, but you don't have to go all or nothing. I just mean, um, you know, like we can switch to um, like incline sprints, maybe if they still want to run, because getting women on an incline um, often puts them into that position that we want to see where their ribs are over their hips. And um, so we can do maybe some sprints. So just some shorter spurts of running rather than the long slugging along, you know, impact, impact, impact for, you know, 40 minutes or however, how long they're running, you know, you can shorten your running duration. But the other thing is, 
is if you start dialing it down around 20 weeks because you know by you know third trimester that it might not be a good idea to be doing running, you can start practicing other forms of cardio that you enjoy and learning the strategies, um, learning the strategy you should use while doing that cardio before you get big and lose that body awareness and you know where everything is. So there's just different reasons for it. But I mean, that being said, there are women that run right into their third trimester um, you know, maybe they ran right up until the day they gave birth. And I'm sure you see some of those women and some of them might be okay after. Yeah. And you some know? people are, some people are fine doing that, but I wouldn't say that it would be the majority of the average general population client. Right. And so many women do have, you know, these compensation strategies and they don't even know it because they, you know, pregnancy is kind of when the when we start seeing the the results, I guess you add in that baby in there, and then you will start. You, you maybe that's what pushes you over the edge to become symptomatic. But again, you might have a runner, a woman who has been a runner, a serious runner for ten years, but she has her strategy is to cling her abs, and she's clinging her abs at all times while she's running. And once she becomes pregnant, that's just not gonna fly anymore and that's when she becomes symptomatic or anyways so yeah there's there's different reasons but I do love your approach Haley and this is the kind of physios that I like to work with that's that don't say yes or no they give education and um they and they let the woman decide for herself what is best for her body and ultimately that is how women are going to be most at peace with that decision is when they they're making it themselves rather than having telling you know telling somebody yes or no. Yeah. I think. And I mean, I could make my recommendation, but if I make my recommendation and you're going to do it anyways, then yeah, you, you say a hard no, like I won't see you if you're doing that, right? Then they won't go anywhere else. Right. That's another really good point is that if you can, um, you know, because a lot, you know, some women feel almost ashamed if, you know, their physiotherapist or their trainer is going to tell them, no, you cannot run. And then they'll go run in secret. And then you're not getting the full picture of your client. Which is also problematic. (laughs) Right. So you need to, so yeah, I would rather, if a woman is going to run right up to the end of her pregnancy, I want to know about it. So at least I can help her do that as, you know, as safely and as efficiently as possible to set her up for postpartum. So but there is, there is so much that you can do during pregnancy and keep doing, which is what we should keep the focus on um, for women so that they are feel empowered and understand that there is a lot that they can keep doing. So Haley, what are your favorite um, modes or um, types of exercises in pregnancy and, and why? So for my population of people, I'm often seeing people that are painful as well. Um, and my people that are painful during pregnancy that want to continue with some exercise tend to do very well with swimming or an aqua aerobics or something like that. Just helps to take pressure off those joints, allows you to move a little bit more um, smoothly through the water. You get some support that way and can just generally relieve some of that pain and tension and through the pelvic girdle in particular as well. So swimming is a big one that I like if my clients will like swimming, (laughs) which isn't always the case. Um, I am a swimmer. I tend to enjoy swimming. So that's a a big go-to for me. Um, Swimming is huge. And then just general kind of everyday around the house exercise kinds of things. I really like when people are doing squats and doing um, activity that also engages the glutes. 
um, appropriately and functionally, obviously. Right. But um, squats in particular can be a total body exercise as well. And if you're doing them properly, you can incorporate that whole system too. The whole, so yeah. those are kind of, yeah, the, the two main go-tos for, for me. If somebody's painful, we're getting them swimming. And then depending on what exactly they're in for, I have various kind of rehab things that they'll come in to do. Um, and then like we were talking about before, I have some trainers that people will work with that I know um, don't get people doing things outside of right. proper patterns during right. pregnancy, which makes it a little bit easier for me because then I know that they're good to go. Um, and then just talking to people about different considerations because lots of people like to go and do classes, but if you're not going to be using those optimal strategies, so the, right. the proper breathing in the proper position and that kind of thing, you need to have a really good base to work from to be able to go and do those as well. So that's kind of what we'll focus on um, in appointments with me and, and making sure that we're not getting that coning on the belly. So that's that indicator for diastasis, that little right. yeah. or TP that you'll get on the tummy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anybody who's pregnant, if you're sitting on the couch and you go to sit up, if you get that little tent on your tummy that's uh that's an indicator for dystasis so you want to avoid those tents basically right um so and just so everybody listening when Haley says the majority of people she sees are in pain that's because she is a physiotherapist so I would see it my population that I see is different because a lot, when women come to me I mean they might be you know, might have different aches and pains um but if they're in um it's you know the Haley sees women who are in major pain or um, leaking or, you know, have those concerns where a trainer um, like me or Annie, we might see someone that has no symptoms at all. So what we can do with them is, um, you know, probably has a bit of a broader scope. Um, so Annie, do you want to talk about your favorite exercises, whether you yeah. describe them or the ones that um, you do in pregnancy? Well, personally and professionally, I just women in general, but especially the, um, prenatal population, I really like any, uh, any movement they can do pain-free with good alignment, um, good breath holding or breath breathing strategies to strengthen the glutes. Um, I am a big fan of strong butts just to be quite frank. And, um, I think anything we can do to strengthen the posterior chain in general and, or, you know, just the backside of the body, because, you know, I, I used to work in a commercial gym and when I look around what most of the women and men are strengthening in a commercial gym is really kind of the front side of their body, kind of those vanity muscles, I call them the biceps, the quads, the abs, and the backside of the body gets kind of forgotten about. And I think, especially for postpartum women, um, women that are kind of spending a lot of time in that hunched over position or they're bending, they're picking babies up off the floor, out of the crib, um, or their belly when they're pregnant is just kind of putting them in different positions, strengthening the backside of the body is really valuable. So I'm a big fan of like squats, hip thrusts, uh, glute bridges, monster walks, um, that sort of stuff to really get your but on fire. <laughs> yeah, I really, um, I'm like, I'm with Annie that I love, I think strength training is awesome for so many reasons. Um, and definitely for pregnancy. Um, I also big fan of strengthening the posterior chain. Um, and it's like Annie said, it's often neglected. I even like, 
I like um, like Romanian deadlifts and um, hip thrusts, um, glute bridges. I like those things even more than squats. And they, like squats, of course, are really functional. But um, for me, you know, even me personally and my body personally, I need to um, squats aren't the best exercise for my glutes. Like I find, um, you know, I really need to um, isolate them basically say with glute bridges, which aren't overly functional, but um, my, my quads, my quads totally take over in squats. Totally. Yeah. So to do, to do movements like hip thrust, it just seems to isolate my glutes. I'm the same way. Right. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say that I like getting my pregnant women doing and that I loved, um, seeing Annie do when we actually filmed the pregnancy program we have in healthy outs, happy moms is, um, more sort of adding sort of, I guess, relaxation, um, work to your, um, to your program. So in that, like we have our, I love our, our warm up. um, and that it, our warm up is so thorough. But my favorite one, Annie, do you remember? It's like a downward dog done against the yep. wall. Do you remember yep. that? And I, I remember do. watching you do it when we were filming, and you were like, that feels so good. And it just gives you a chance to breathe because I just, all in all, I think with strength training and then women in their lives in general, there's just a lot of stress, 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 stress. And, and if you think about that leading to hypertonic pelvic floors, because I guess one thing we didn't talk about is I was going to share in the podcast that I still occasionally feel my pelvic floor, um, you know, when it's feeling really tight, it's often I'm having a stressful day. Like it's like my mental health um, leads into my pelvic health in some ways. So anyway, so I love the um, just making sure to add in um, just even just breathing work at the end of a end of a workout, just to make sure people are coming down a little bit rather than just being hyped up all the time and doing hard things all the time. Um, and then, so we have this move in our pregnancy program where Annie is, she faces the wall and she's puts her palms against the wall and then she, um, gets her butt back and she stretches out. Um, so it's stretching out her, um, hamstrings and her forearms. And the other thing is it's opening up her upper back, which is the other, um, place that I found personally and with a lot of my clients is that your upper back gets really tight during pregnancy and it's really good to open it up. And, and with that being said, I also like incorporating lots of pulling movements in pregnancy to strengthen that upper back area. Is there anything else you guys want to add? I think we're at about an hour here, so we should wrap it up, but is there anything else you guys want to add or... Well, I think just looking at our outline here that you made, Jen, there's a lot that we didn't get to discuss. So I would, I would like to invite Haley back for another, a, a second parter where we could discuss a little bit more in detail, some of these items and, and also post postpartum information too, because this was really yeah. you know, a lot of prenatal stuff. Um, yeah. So would you join us back? I sure would. Awesome. I don't even think we got to some of those questions either. No, I know we had so many community no. questions come in, and I think we did cover some of them, but we missed so yeah. many. So we could probably do a whole podcast on community questions around. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that would well, thank thank you so much for joining us. It was wonderful to chat with you. I think we covered a lot of great information. We did. Yeah. We will have you Thanks back. For okay, Haley. Me. Thank you. 
If you like what you heard today, I invite you to check out our free 30-minute workshop where Jennifer, Lauren, and I discuss how to reach your goals without dieting and extremes and how to have fun while you get there, which you can find at balance365.co. As well as join us and nearly 30,000 other women across the globe in our free Facebook community, Healthy Habits, Happy Moms. And if you really like what you hear today, be sure to give us a review on iTunes so we can keep bringing you amazing podcast episodes. Thank you, everyone.